here we go. Okay. Welcome to On Off Topic. Hello, Brad. How are you? I am recovering. How are you? Recovering from what? Oh, dental stuff again. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So it's a good thing we didn't record, like, the other night. We We would not have recorded last night. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still a little... My jar is sore from the... uh, All the work done on the back molars. It's never easy. So, anyway... No, that's quite that's quite a bit of work then if you're still sore. Yeah, I don't it's, it wasn't even quite a bit of work. It was just I think the the amount of stress put on it to work on those back teeth because they have to open your mouth so far and hold it that way for a while. It's just I don't know. It's just sore. Chewing is difficult right now. But mm. that's not important. Nobody cares about my teeth. No, um but you did send me a package the other day of teeth? Um, no. Oh, thank Christ. No, that would be weird. That'd be very, very weird. <laughs> um, and I got a little one sixty fourth Piero Exceed the diecast BM Creations. Yeah, it's terrible pretty, name. Decent diecasts. Yeah, it's actually uh, you know I, was, I opened it today and I was looking at it because the box got crushed, but luckily it was encased like fully encased in plastic, mm-hmm. uh, so it was fine. And I was looking at it, I was like, oh, the gaps around the doors look pretty. The door's open. I was like, that's cool. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. It's left-hand drive, too. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Huh. I did not notice that. Nope. And it came well, with different size tires. Yeah, spare set of tires. Yeah. Like a scale set of, what do you say, 32s, 33s? Like, no, nah, like 31s, 32s, it looks like. So okay. I put them on. Because it doesn't so, like said, you didn't you didn't need to lift it to put them I on. I didn't though, need right? to lift it. So, nope. anybody asks if you want to lift your, if you want to put thirty twos on your one sixty four scale Montero, you do not need to lift. It's funny because it does have the little rear axle does flex on the two little trailing arms, and the front the trailing arms move. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. I mean, it's just a Hot Wheels size car. I didn't think it was. I didn't open out the package. I just assumed it was a solid chassis because I have. A same scale uh, second gen Pajero Montero, um, but it's by Tomica and it's not, it does not move. <laughs> it's just regular solid straight axle mounted no, hard. The front's got a little suspension to it too. Neat. Very neat. The paint's really nice. It's a cool little. These are like, I'm really into these true scale 164s now. You really turned me on to them. So the BM Creations, which is a terrible name, um, but anyway, they're, I would say they're one level below Atomica or an Inno or a Tarmac. Yeah. They're very nice, but they're not quite as as perfectly, perfectly scale um, because they do have things like opening doors and it makes the door gap look a little bit bigger than, you know, that probably normally would be if it didn't have opening doors. Um, but they add additional parts to every one they sell to make them as appealing as the higher higher end ones. Like that one came with the larger tires. Um, they have most of their cars, they come with uh, posable suspension. So you can keep it stock height or you can lower it or you can go hmm. all crazy camber on them. Um, and some of them even come with a second set of wheels. So neat. They're pretty neat. And they're building some weird cars that nobody else has. Like the mark, the second gen Montero has been done 
by Tomica as well. Um, but they're doing like a Suzuki Swift from the early 90s, like the Geo Metro. Oh, yeah. They're doing one of those in 164th. They just came out with an Evo 7, which doesn't exist anywhere else other than a not-to-scale Hot Wheels. So it's neat stuff. I'm into them. I haven't bought one for myself yet, so I'll uh, keep an eye on them. I know they do a Suzuki Jimmy, the, the new style Jimmy. Yeah, that looks kind of cool. Yeah, I may pick one of those up. We'll see. And then I had you pick up uh, from your buddy, the Toy Pimp, there, a uh, flat body Starion. Yes. From, uh, Team Rally Art Australia. It's the Macau yep. car. Yeah, it's part of. Did you see on the back of the package? It's got a little leg of the racetrack. Maternity Bend, huh? Yep. So if you collected every car from the set, which some of them are race cars that we don't care about, so we're not going to, you could display the boxes backwards and it would display the track map. Oh. And you stacked all the back boxes together. Interesting. Yep. Pretty neat. It's like a six car set or an eight car set of yeah, cars that's a really that ran nice, in Macau. That's a really nice car. Yeah, it's super nice. Well worth the twenty twenty five bucks whatever they cost. Like they're mm-hmm. they are they are beautifully done diecasts. So beautifully done diecasts. And speaking of flat body stereons, we might as well get into what you've been doing to yours. We talked about it last week. Um, I was mid pulling things apart. I don't remember how far along I was last time we talked. I, I don't think, think I had you just had broke the. Free. Yeah, I don't think you had the tank out of the car yet. Yeah, I had broken free all the very old rusty bolts um, without much drama. Like, it wasn't, I, I don't want to say it was easy, but there wasn't any drama. Nothing broke, nothing stripped, um, surprisingly, because, I mean, you saw the bottom of that car last time we had it on the lift. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did not expect the bolts to come off as easy as they did. I almost feared that this would be a situation where, like, the tank didn't come down and I'd wind up just running a cheap fuel cell on the trunk for a while. <laughs> like, mm. That's what I assumed might happen. But the tank came off. Um, it's it's only held in by three, six, eight bolts. So they're the studs that come off the car and the nuts go onto the studs. Yeah. Um, so there's only eight of them, three in the front, three in the back, and one on each side. Um, and yeah, they all, they all came off. Um, had I pulled the trailer hitch off last time we talked? Yeah, I think so. So the trailer hitch would turned out to be the only part holding the car together. That's what you didn't cover. You didn't talk about how the trailer hitch was the only thing holding the bumper on. So this is a, I don't know where it came from trailer hitch. Um, it fits very well. It works very well. I've, I've used it in the past. It mounts from the rear subframe has a big bolt coming out of the bottom of it. Right. And so it mounts there and it's a straight bar that goes all the way back to the bumper beam. And then there are a crossbar on the bumper beam and there's four bolts that bolted to the bumper beam. So it's bolted to the rear diff or sorry, rear subframe and the bumper beam. And that's it. Right. So when I unbolted it, I was, you know, there to catch it to make sure this big, heavy chunk of metal didn't land on my my head. Um, Thankfully, it didn't. What I did not expect was that the bumper was also loose. Huh. So I've never taken the back bumper off this car. 
I've had the car almost completely stripped, but never had the back bumper off. Yeah. I know for a fact I've never had the back bumper off because I have the pictures of the car from the day I took out the back of the car, interior, and the taillights and everything out till today, and the bumper's never off the car. Mm-hmm. I would remember taking this bumper off because I've never taken this trailer hitch off, and the trailer hitch was mounted to the bumper beam. Exactly. So at some point in the car's life, it got hit on the passenger side quarter which we discovered we started working on it because they did a terrible repair. Um, and once you saw inside the quarter panel, you could see the wrinkled metal and all the holes they drilled for the dent puller, you know, the old school method before they had like a you know stud welder. So I am under the assumption that when that car got in an accident in like 1988. That's what it sounds like. They put the bumper back on without the bolts that bolt the bumper to the frame of the car. So the entire time I've owned the car, the bumper has just been supported by this little class one trailer hitch. Yeah. And that means so like the idea of this was that it was bolted to the subframe and then bolted to the bumper beam, which was bolted to the car. Mm-hmm. And that's when you put that's how you put all the force of towing something through it. But really, it was just bolted to that one bolt in the subframe, which means when I was actually towing with it. Yeah. I was literally towing my trailer with one bolt holding to the car. Right. Which is scary as hell. I mean, it was just a um, little motorcycle trailer. It, it wasn't very heavy. No, it's thankfully. Um, and the other thing is the way that car is designed, the reinforcement bar doesn't bolt flush against the outside of the car. It actually, the frame rails are hollow as they are in all cars. Um, and it has these two stanchions that go into the frame rails and then it bolts up from the bottom of the frame rail. So at least it was slotted into the frame rail, so it also couldn't go left or right. So it was it was pretty fairly solidly mounted. It's just, it was strange that I was expecting the trailer hitch to fall, and I was ready to catch it. And then the bumper made a large move towards myself, who was laying under the car. Um, and it's not a lightweight bumper. <laughs> so thankfully, it did not land on me and cut me in half, you know. With its rusty edges, so I, I I did live, but the bumper is now off the car and the tank is now out of the car. Um, as we talked about before, the whole reason to pull a tank out was to find out why it was leaking gas. Um, and it was holes on top of the tank. Now definitely confirmed. There's a low spot on the tank where the um. Yeah. You know the part I'm talking about? Fuel pump? Where it goes in? The pickup? Not the fuel pump. Yeah, the pickup. Sending unit? Sending unit. Thank you. So there's a low spot in the tank where the sending unit goes in. It's like a a round cap on the sending unit, like traditionally. And then around that is a round relief in the tank where it's just a low spot for the rest of the tank. And obviously over the, you know, almost 40 years of the car's life, that has filled up with gunk. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, now. Car's in 84. So am I. It's not almost yeah. 40. It's 37 years, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to I don't want to break it to you. I don't want to break it to you, but it's almost 40. I mean, you're closer to 40 than I am, so I'll be 40 in double digit days, which is scary, but um yeah. Now you got me all off off guard here. <laughs> um the car was probably built in, actually I know for a fact the car was built in late 80 in 83. Okay. So that makes it 38 years old, which is that much closer to 40. I can at 38, you can round up to 40. When it, comes, when it comes to anything, it's not an age. 
Also, you're almost 40. Um, so this almost 40-year-old car, predictably, uh, living in New England for its 37.6 years, um, had a lot of rust, as we talked about. And that relief or the lower section in the tank and filled up with gunk and salt and dirt and mud and sand and mouse nests and all the things that can build up in a crevasse in a car over time, especially in the bottom of the car, an area you can't wash, um, had eaten away the metal from the outside in. And there were a couple of spots where it was fairly like a pukey consistency of the metal. Uh, and I could push on it and it would move. So I pushed on it a little bit and I broke away all the free floating rust. Um, I didn't drop it in the tank. I kind of like peeled it back from the top so I didn't fill the tank with rust. Because looking inside the tank, it doesn't have a lot of rust in it somehow. Unless it always had fuel in it, even when it was sitting for years. Which is a positive thing. <laughs> Does not need a new tank just to make the car run and drive. So I got it all out of the car. It's on the ground. And then... We have had the craziest week of weather here in Phoenix. It has not been very Phoenix-like this week. Uh, I don't know how much you want to talk about weather, but it's been... It snowed in Scottsdale Saturday. Which I don't know if everybody knows how far Scottsdale is, but it abuts Phoenix. Uh, the apartment that I moved into when I first moved here with Naomi a, few, a couple of years ago was on like the border of Scottsdale and Phoenix. So it snowed in Scottsdale, hmm. which is pretty crazy. Um, anywhere that was like 2,000 feet or around 2,000 feet of elevation or up got snow. It's been, it was it was 37 degrees here in, in actual Phoenix today, this morning. Like it's, that's cold. That's not, that's not comfortable. That was like here this morning. Yeah, it's probably the same temperature. And we've talked about it before, that, that dry air that saves you when it's 120 does the opposite when it's 37. It makes 37 feel like, you know, 20. It's quite cold. So, and it's been raining every day all week long, which is, again, not normal for Phoenix. So the tank is under the car, covered, but I have to, I can't bring it in the house and work on it because it's full of gas and that's gross. And I can't bring it in the garage because I'm not putting the cars that are in the garage outside because we've had hailstorms and stuff as well all week long. So I'm just kind of like waiting for the right day to, to fix this tank. Um, our friend Andy suggested this product called Tank Weld. It's, yeah, it's a, a JV it's Weld a type specialty thing. product by JV Weld. I've never used it before. Um, it seems fairly simple. It was like $8. And you can fix the tank from the outside without welding and all that stuff, which obviously, if I can avoid welding a fuel tank, I will, because that means I don't have to empty it out and make sure it's all inert and all that stuff. I can just gum it up. And this is not the permanent tank for the car. This is a tank just to make the car run as is until I do the whole chassis swap. So I have that JB Weld tank weld, and hopefully by next podcast, we'll get a break in the weather. And I can go ahead and put that on there. We can get the carpet back together. Sounds like it would work. I don't see why it won't. I mean, it's it's on top of the tank, which is a bonus because it's not going to have gas like weighing down on it. It's the top of the tank. Um, then just don't um, don't overfill the car. Yeah, so it's, it's only going to overflow when it overfills, and that's what happened. Was I overfilled the car, and all of the fuel that was up in like the filler neck 
because the tank was so full, had to drain out of the car, which if you look at the filler neck, that's it's at least somewhere between, I don't know, it's probably about a half gallon <laughs> between the, fuel, the filler neck and the top yeah. part of that tank. So a half a gallon of fuel probably on the ground. A, a polar seltzer bottle worth of fuel. <laughs> it's, uh, it's bigger than a liter. It's bigger than a liter. Um, but anyway, a, a, a polar seltzer bottle's worth of fuel on the ground um, seems like a lot. It is a lot. Because it, 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 it spreads out and it makes a giant mess. So when it was pouring out of the car, I thought for sure like something was really, really wrong. Which is why I thought that the hose going into the tank was probably the problem because of how much fuel came out of it. But it wasn't. It's just these two small pinholes. One's, you know, maybe a centimeter and one's like three centimeters and that's it. So hopefully we'll be back together and we'll go from there. Then I just got to take care of the radiator and the car should run and drive. No problem. Cool. Life is good. How about um, warranty car updates? (laughs) (laughs) Instead of calling that a project car. Well, the project was communicating with the dealership. That was the project. Um, The Volkswagen. When we last left off, where were we? (laughs) It Uh, needed a new turbo. It needed a new EGR and a new DPF, right? And like there was a broken bolt. There broken already, bolts. It already been there for like two weeks, two and a half weeks. Well, yesterday was three days shy of a month. Um, and I got a phone call. The car was done. So I went down to pick it up and I asked them to tell me specifically what exactly had been done. And they really couldn't. Now, this is obviously concerning because it's my car, and I'd like to know you know, what the final repair was. I apologize. I'm trying to find the paperwork in front of me. Right it's now. really weird because I remember working at a dealership as both a warranty administrator and at one point as a service advisor and doing all kinds of parts. You know, as a parts guy for such a long time, you typically have to write on the work order all the parts down. What it, it may usually when you flip the in if it's like Reynolds and Reynolds, you flip the job line code to W for warranty, and then it hides all the prices. Yes, which it is. A, it is Reynolds and Reynolds. I recognize the so. Device. But then you it still itemizes all the parts that went into it, and then you still have to the service writer has to write a story for it because when it comes time for warranty, if it's just like. Car was broken, replace part, warranty. Volkswagen is going to be like, no, we can't um, pay that because we don't know what was wrong with it. I'm going to go ahead and paraphrase a little bit of this for you. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to read the parts list. Um, it is 26 lines, but I'll leave out all the ones that just say bolt, seal, or gasket. Okay. So 26 lines minus bolt, seals, and gaskets we have cover pipe 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 weird yeah those are the parts i do have part numbers i could probably look them up if i got ambitious um so those are the parts that were replaced cover pipe 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 and everything else has gaskets seals washers bolts etc so here's what's confusing me um this might 
be boring. This might be interesting. I'm not sure, but we're gonna we're gonna do a quick paraphrase here of my service report. Um, so remember, the car came in for a P0401 uh, and a P20 2028 or something like that. Should say so, there on the on the on the line. P0401 and P240F. So in, uh, exhaust gas recirculation flow, exhaust gas recirculation slow response, efficiency below threshold. So flow insufficient detected, exhaust after treatment fuel, sli- fuel supply control, tech performed test plans provided in scan tool to DPF system. Test plan concluded to replace DPF due to soot accumulation. Tech also ran test plan to check DPF ash load. Turn uh, equal. It says equal sign. DPF is okay. Hmm. Tech suspects an air leak is causing DPF flow insufficient faults. Tech connected smoke tester to charge air pipe hose. So the charge air pipe is where he put the so off the turbo, right? Yep. That's my understanding. Uh, tech connected smoke tester to charge air pipe hose. Tech performed detailed connected smoke tester to charge air pipe hose. What? Tech performed detailed inspection of turbocharger hoses. Tech found smoke coming from cracked charge air pipe, as well as excessive oil leak from cracked charge air pipe, causing DPF and EGR flow faults to occur. So, I don't know everything there is to know about turbo cars. I know a lot more about fuel, you know, petrol powered cars, but I know that a charge air pipe in any situation is not an oil delivery pipe. No, but you'll end up with a lot of oil in the intake track of a turbo car. That's very, very common. That's why uh, on which is, which is modified fine. cars, you throw a, a catch can in there. Would you call that a leak? I wouldn't call it a leak. I, I'd call it blow by. It's, it's, Quite sure. normal to have that much bloat, like a, well, well. If the amount, if, if they're calling it a leak, and the next line says um, excessive but, oil leak from cracked charge air pipe concerns causing DPF and EGR flow faults to occur. So it sounds to me, and what they kept telling me was there was a giant oil leak, and it was filling up the DPF with oil, and then causing the ash to become like essentially mud. Yeah, that part's weird. To me, it sounds like the way I would imagine it, you've got an, a cracked pipe, which is an air leak. Okay. And it's causing uh, sensors to read incorrectly and then causing it to not go into uh, regen because there's like an air leak. Like a yeah. like when you've got uh, an uh, on a gas car, when the exhaust is rotted after the O2 sensor or before the O2 sensor and you're introducing air, it messes up the mixture. Correct. So that, to me, that's what it is happening. Like and, they and only realized would, it was leaking because the oil blow by was coming out of it. You know what I'm saying? That's okay. how they found the crack in the pipe was because oil blow by was coming out. So there's no actual oil leak. It's normal oil usage. Yeah. I don't know. I just it's blowing out of there. 
the other the other thing tech found hard connecting pipe from exhaust manifold to EGR valve on intake manifold had fatigued a crack at the weld point causes an air leak and EGR flow efficiency faults to occur so that would make sense to me like yeah. that pipe is the same on a gas car as a diesel car like I know that pipe they're talking about I can picture it I can see it cracking at the weld that would make sense what doesn't make sense to me is why was my car in the shop for three and a half weeks if all it needed was an EGR tube and a charge air hose yeah that part's weird yeah Three and a half weeks to put essentially two parts in the car. Um, I will say there was a TSB when you do some of this work to take out the injectors and reseal them. So at least that has been done. Um, I will also say that when I got home last night, I pulled the engine cover off and the injectors are wet at their base. So that doesn't make me thrilled, but I'm going to keep an eye on it and hope it's just from some kind of assembly lube or leftover diesel fuel from doing the job. So I'm going to check that again in a week or two just to make sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if you've got to, if you've got to push them into the head, maybe they put something on them. And that's what I said. I didn't, I didn't jump down the guy's throat and call him and say, there's diesel fuel everywhere. Cause I know that, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I, I, put enough injectors and fuel injected cars to know that they don't just slide in. A lot of times you need to put some kind of a, an assembly lube on to make them, to make them go together. So I'm not t- terribly concerned about that. The things that did concern me now after three and a half weeks, I went to pick the car up and I think I posted pictures of my car's interior on the auto topic page. If not picture the lightest tan on the market. It's a, oh. it's like a, um, if you go to the south and you order a coffee with cream, this is what the interior looks like. Yeah, it's like coffee ice cream. Yeah. Even lighter. Um, so anyway, it's borderline white. Um, I open the door, and I keep my car pretty clean. I mean, I, I'm pretty I'm, – you know, we're car people. We, we tend to take care of our things. We tend to keep things in good shape. And I've been very um, conscientious – about this lightly colored interior. And, you know, in the past two years I've owned the car, I haven't put a stain in a seat. Like, it's very clean. It was black. There was grease all over the seat, the steering wheel, and the door and the door panel. That's completely unacceptable for a new car dealer to deliver a car back to a customer with a filthy interior. Yeah. I don't I don't have any excuse for the person that did that. That's just that means that it got through the tech. And then it was washed. The outside of the car was washed. So whoever washed the car got in and out of the car. Um, it was washed poorly, but it was washed. And possibly the service writer. All these people should have seen this, and none of them did. Anyway, service writer acted like he was very upset, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he was very upset. It was taken care of. Not a big deal. Drove the car home, and that's when I opened the hood just to kind of do a general check around. And the first thing I noticed was I could see the ground. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I know for a fact that when you open the hood in this car, you cannot see the ground. It has giant underbelly covers that cover everything. And they're missing. They're, I think it's two pieces from the front bumper all the way back. So I immediately, uh, the service writer made the mistake of calling me on his cell phone the other day when the phones were found <laughs> in the ship. So I immediately texted him uh, and sent him pictures of the... Uh, vast nothingness of space where something should be there. And uh, he eventually texted me back 
well after hours and said, I'm sorry, we'll figure it out in the morning. So thankfully they found the part. Uh, he went to the tech and she said that it was in her bay. She couldn't remember which TDI it came out of, but thinks it was probably the red one. Which is mine. Okay. So I guess that's where we're at. So I have to go back to the dealership at some point to have my undertrace put back on, but it's an inconvenience, especially this crazy work week that I'm in the middle of, but I'll get it done eventually. So car's back in my in my in my name, in my hands, in my driveway. Three days from Arizona Lemon Law. Yeah. Because if I didn't get it back after a month, I was definitely putting in the paperwork because I don't need to be without a car for a month. You know, and I think you mentioned it too. It's like it's, it stings a little bit more when you're paying for something that's just not here. Yeah, exactly. So, but it is what it is. I am thankful I have a diesel warranty. Um, I know that with 70 something thousand miles, there could start to be some issues. So mm-hmm. I have the diesel warranty till 150. And I just know that next time I need warranty work, I'll be finding a new Volkswagen dealer in town. Yeah, I guess. Because that's, as you know, I, I, I can't, there is nothing in my mind that tells me this was a three and a half week job. No. If they took the, if they took the car in, scheduled properly, diagnosed it one day, took it apart and broke the bolt a week ago, and it took them a, you know, a week after getting it in, and it took them a week and a half to get it back, I might not think too much about it. But three and a half weeks is a long time for a, for, you know, three pipes and a hose. I, I just, I'm a little upset. That's all there is to it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I didn't pay anything. It's warranty. But at the end of the day, I bought the car. You gave me the warranty. It's a factory warranty. It's not like some aftermarket warranty. Like there's no issue with billing. Just fix my car and get it back. Right. So, and the other problem I had the whole time was, was the communication is, is, is was horrible, but that's, Par for the course for dealerships nowadays, it seems. And then if if the parts were back ordered, they could have just told you they were back ordered. Absolutely, but I don't think they were. I just That's think that point. it was my car was low priority. It was a pain in the butt because they broke the bolt in the back, the the manifolds in the back. So they broke the bolt on the back of the cylinder head, and it leans in towards the firewall. So it's probably a nightmare to reach, and they just didn't want to do it. I mean. You got a warranty claims that are that are gravy trains sitting there, or you can spend all day trying to fix this 2013 diesel Volkswagen that, by all rights, should be well out of warranty. Hmm. So I think that's where the problem lies, but whatever. Bad experience. I still love the car. Um, I'll try a different Volkswagen dealer next time and, and hope for the best. And who knows? Maybe I won't have any more warranty work, but... I've heard stories of 85, 90K on turbos. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, speaking of uh, weird customer service things, I um, I talked about last time I was buying a G20, I think. Mm-hmm. So You did bring it up almost in passing. Yeah. So I bought a 96 G20. It's got 106,000 miles on it. It's pretty low considering the year. Yeah, it's five speed. Our buddy Chris found it down on the South Shore. Uh, from the, he, I guess during the summer he ran into the original owner at like BJ's. Noticed what, like what a cool '90s car it was. Talked the guy up. 
Then uh, he happened to run into him a few days later, getting a sticker on his RX-7. Chris has an RX-7. Guy right. was getting a sticker on this G20 in, in July. Um, and he, I guess Chris talked to him about it, said, hey, if you ever want to sell it, let me know. A few months go by. Chris forgot. <laughs> Guy called him up. Hey, I'm ready to sell the car. And Chris is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so so Chris ended up with his car. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, I was like, eh, maybe. And then I decided I wanted it because I worked at the kudos dealership. To, kudos to Chris, though, for, you know, sticking true to his word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got it from Chris. Uh, threw in some tune-up parts with it. But it's like an hour away from the house. I didn't want to tow it. Because the car ran and drive. It had a sticker on it in July. It wasn't like a junker. So, right. and plus I know Chris and he's cool. So he let me, I bought it from him, got the paperwork. Let me keep it in his car for a week. For those who don't know Chris, Chris is the same person who I bought both the Cressida and the Sapporo from. Yes. <laughs> um, if you've been to Radwood, he has the blue Delica. Um, yep. So I, uh, you know, it's COVID times now. You're trying to register a car, and in mass, they've never had temp tags ever. So I'm looking up how to register this car, and it uh, it goes. You can drop stuff off, like interesting, uh, and do all the paperwork. So I went through Haggerty, got my insurance through it, my form and everything, and then I uh, I found. There's all different RMVs, but only a couple of them that are doing the drop-offs. The closest one that does drop-off is in Haverhill, which is the next town over from where you used, used to live. Absolutely. Um, I, I do like that registry, though, because it's... It's small. not where you think it is anymore. It's not in the basement of Town Hall? Nope. It's over by the old Building 19 Plaza. It's oh, you know what? Plaza. I, I did go there once. I did go there once because I will never forget that traumatic experience because when you walk in, there is a, I would say, like eight foot by eight foot entryway building. Like you walk in a door and then you're like an eight foot by eight foot door and there's another door when you first yeah. walk in. And I was waiting in line in there with this really old man and he, I think he crapped his pants. Oh. And the entire, that eight foot by eight foot room, just, there were like six of us in there. And we heard this noise and then death entered the room and we all kind of looked at each other and like wanted to turn around and walk outside. But at the same time, we're like, we're embarrassed for this man. But then he started chuckling quietly to himself and none of us really knew what to do. So I just went outside, but I will forever remember that room now. (laughs) Because I almost was asphyxiated in there by some old man's incontinence. Well, all right. So (laughs) here I am with my paperwork. I'm like, all right, cool. I could just drop it off. It says drop it off with the security guard. And then in like four days, we'll email you. You pay for it and you can print a temp tag and a temp registration, which is crazy to me that they're going to allow you to print temp tags in Massachusetts. Yeah, Mass has been staunchly opposed to that for the since the dawn of time. So I'm like, cool. So I go there and the security guard, very nice. She's like, yeah, but you got to scan the QR code here to get your number because you have to go inside. I'm like, really? Well, that defeats the entire purpose. <laughs> so I waited for like an hour, go inside. And you know why I had to do this? Because they have to check your paperwork because the lady's like, well, you're the first one today that has all your paperwork filled out correctly. I'm like, oh, 
She's like, so I will take this and we'll process it in a couple hours. You'll get an email later today. This is on a Friday. You're like, I didn't realize, you know, she's she's like, you didn't realize that, you know, talking to Andrew here. I'm expert car painter. I've done it a lot. I do this too many times. Yeah. Um, so a couple hours later, yep. I get the email, print my temp tag. I, uh, go down the next day, Saturday, pick the car up from Chris, drive it back home. Oh, that's the other thing. So they also give you a plastic sleeve at the registry to put the paper plate in. So, so you don't wind up with that situation that I had where I was driving down the road with my Arizona temp tag and blew off in the wind. Yeah. yeah. So you, and you, it has, it's self, self-adhesive too. So it sticks to where the plate goes. Um, yeah. So I'm like, and then it says in the email, yeah, you'll get your plate in like a week in the mail. I'm like, cool. So go down Saturday morning, pick it up, drive it back home. I'll get to the way it drives afterwards, but get all the way back home, come in the house. And as I'm coming in the house, I check the mailbox. This is now Saturday afternoon. My hard plates are in the mailbox. So like 20 hours later. I'm like, why didn't they just give me the plates at the registry? In the, in, in the scheme, the grand scheme of the registry of Massachusetts, that has got to be some kind of a record. I think there are people who went in before temp tags who waited at the registry for 20 hours for their plate. Yeah. I don't I don't think that's is anything that would ever happen in the past. What confuses me about this whole situation is you went to the registry, they handed you a paper plate, they sent you on your way, and then immediately no, no. took the metal plate that must have been in their back room and put it in the mail and mailed it to you. Oh, no, no, no. The, I left. They sent me an email. I completed the transaction by paying for it on the internet. Okay. And then I logged into my account on the RMV website and was allowed to print my temp tag. So the only thing they've changed is you didn't have to touch the credit card machine. Yeah. Um what a waste of time. And then they had to spend whatever it costs, two bucks or whatever, to mail you your hard plates. Yeah, I don't know. What a waste of time. But I really want them to keep, can we just keep temp tags for like three days or a week to like move a car? Because that would be so much easier. Yeah, so basically you have temp tags, but they're not really temp tags. They're permanent tags that you just put on ahead of getting your temp to uh, your no plate. it has a different plate number it has a tp temporary plate and then a different number and it what says on it temporary time. plate what a waste yeah. of time this is this is a terrible this is a typical massachusetts rmv system i don't understand yeah. <laughs> i love that here in arizona i can buy a car go online log into my account pay a dollar and print out a plate and drive it home yeah i could have i could have waited till saturday afternoon not uh, gotten all in a huff because my printer ran out of ink and I had to get ink. Yeah. <laughs> cost you another forty nine ninety nine um, to print this out. And then I would have just had the hard plates. It's like. What, so a com- what, a, what a comedic situation. You know, this is the whole. I, 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 I'm not going to be. We're not going to be political here, but there is. There is some ridiculous stuff that has happened during this. That's pandemic. just like stupid bureaucratic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like that whole outdoor dining. We're gonna, we're gonna turn outdoor dining into an indoor dining. Like what what are we talking about right now? Why are we why are we jumping through these hoops to do this stuff just slightly different? It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. It's either all open 
or it's enclosed. Yeah. <laughs> it <doesn't, laughs> it's definitely better if it's all open. Close it in. I'm not questioning it, but you know, winter time in New England, yeah. they're taking this outdoor dining and they're building indoor dining out of it, and it's just like an extension on every building. I don't even understand the difference anymore. I don't know. I, I that's that's a whole another topic for a whole different podcast. That's not for us, obviously. Um, but all right. So back to the car. It's a similar situation. Like it's something that they changed just a little. It, under this, the, the guise of making things safer, when in reality they haven't taken out any steps that require you to not be near somebody else. I mean, I like the idea of using my phone to get the ticket number, and then I can just wait outside. I don't have to wait inside the place. Like that was pretty good. Sure. You just do that all the time. Yeah, I want that all the time. Exactly. Um, all right. Anyway, driving the car. Um, so yeah, it was it was registered. You know, recently it wasn't. Inspected in July, so I don't think the guy ever. Chris agreed with this. Too. I don't think the guy ever really drove it on the highway. So I drove. I drove it home on the highway. Did 70, 75 just fine. A little vibration. I think the, the tires were either chopped or um, it was cold out. Maybe they flat spotted from sitting, even though we filled them back up because they were all they were all uh, low by ten pounds just from the cold weather. Yeah, it could be said the temperature change. Um. And they're, they're kind of old. It could use could use some fresh fresh tires, but um, drove pretty well. I gotta check the steering. It feels a little weird. Maybe the power steering fluid it seemed a little low when I checked it. The car had plenty of oil, plenty of coolant. Definitely needs an oil change. He threw in some tune up parts. I went on Rock Auto, got some more tune up parts because it had a valve cover gasket leak, or it has a valve cover gasket leak. Uh, needed a new battery. It was it was dead when I originally looked at. It. We had to jump it. So I just, right off the bat, just got a battery for it, not to mess around with it. Um, but it's a it's a neat car. These are Nissan Premiers in Japan. Uh, it's not the same as the Sentra. It's got... Yeah, that seems to be link. whatever yeah, you think. Lot, the Sentra yeah. SER is the same car, which I thought too, actually. No, chassis is totally different. Um, engine is similar. It's an SR20. I don't know the difference in the specs because I... Feel like in SCR is like 170 horsepower or something, maybe. Not sure. I would have to look it up. I know these are like a buck forty, buck fifty. Like I remember, probably you know, it's because like you know you work with those like dumb techs sometimes, especially in like 2001. You know, this was a slow, stupid car, the G20. But really, they're a pretty cool little performance car, and I probably only didn't have one back then because they were still expensive. Because yeah, they were an entry-level luxury car. Because um, this was meant to compete with a 3 Series BMW, which seems weird to think about it, but you're like, no. In the early well, 90s, yeah, 1990s, E30 was still the car that was on the market in 1990. Yeah, what did E30 go to? 93? 92, 93? Yeah, something like that. And then an E40, E36. And aside from an M3... What did they have? 150, 160 horsepower? Yeah. Uh, that's straight even, even, even the E30 M3 only had 160 or something like that. Yeah. So they weren't spectacularly fast cars at the time. Uh, so this was like a little personal luxury uh, sedan. Um, this one's a five speed. Um, it's not a touring, so it doesn't have the deep buckets. It doesn't have the spoiler. It doesn't have the LSD. doesn't have fog lights. doesn't have leather. And no sunroof. That's basically like, the, the like difference. The I like the cloth. That's nice. 
uh, is an interesting cloth because it's kind of a light brown. Uh, it's incredibly clean inside. I don't think the back seat was ever used. Um, and the driver's seat has minimal wear in it. It's got like a blue stain, like the guy wore denim or something. That's weird. I'll have to try to take care of it. And then right at the uh, like 7 o'clock position on the steering wheel, it's completely worn through the leather. Like that's just where he held it all the time. But the rest of the wheel is in great shape. So okay. I think there are, you can get leather skins for them. And I'm going to look into restitching one. I've never done that type of project. So I, I might actually, I might test this on the Montero first because that wheel was so bad. I cut the leather off because a lot of these videos on YouTube for doing this, just put the leather wrap over the original wrap. It makes it like super, I think that would be weird. It would be too thick. Yeah. So I might experiment by trying it on the Montero first because it's already been removed and see how it looks. A little practice first. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be a neat little project. But um, one of the first things I'll, I'm going to look into is the ABS light is on. Uh, and it's funny because the guy just put black tape over it. <laughs> so you can see it from like a certain angle. And um, I was able to find the factory service manuals in PDF form. And there is a way to take a jumper cable and jump the little diagnostic connector and make the ABS light flash for you and give you the code. So hopefully it's something simple. Hopefully it's not an ABS sensor because those are um, surprisingly expensive. Like all the other tune-up parts were like super cheap. Like I was like, because I had looked at the air filter and the air filter was like, good but then i learned on rock auto and a denso air filter was five dollars and i was like oh, i'll just put a new air filter in it yeah you might as well start start everything you can fresh belts are like ten dollars each yeah two belts so yeah but the abs sensors are almost four hundred dollars for aftermarket ones for for all of them together or for one no for one whoa that yeah that's really strange that's I'm like, I'm hoping that's not why he never, he never fixed the ABS. Well, my, my guess would probably be, and this is obviously just a guess. Um, he went to somewhere to get it fixed and they said, this part is $400 plus $400 in labor. And he said, yeah, go pound and I'll put tape over it. That's possible too. I mean, I was also reading the nice thing about having the factory service manuals is it usually gives you a description of how the part works. Right. What the stuff is looking for as far as parameters for triggering the light. Right. And as I was reading it, I was like, okay. Charge air pipes. Yeah, I was reading it. I was like, oh, okay. So it could be like, uh, it could just be the fuse that goes to it. It could be one of the relays to it is bad. Um, I'm like, all right, cool. So I'll get it to flash. Tell me what the code is. and I'll go from there. That'll probably be the first thing I'll do. Just because it seems like it might be the most expensive thing. Because otherwise, yeah. everything, the car drives and stops. Um, the brake fluid's a little low. It's definitely dirty. Like, I will definitely check the brake pads and make sure the calipers aren't seized up. Because, you know, the car did live kind of near the ocean, so. Well, and it's in New England. So, yeah, regardless <clears throat> of where it lived, it's in New England. So, it's always possible there could be. It's a little bouncy. I'm assuming the struts are original because... A lot of times struts make it past 100k, so 
Um, the other it's thing also, I need to look up age is in there too. Like it's it's a hundred yeah. k. It was a hundred k driving around downtown, which is a lot different yeah. than a hundred k driving up and down the interstate. So yeah, and they're also really inexpensive for just the OEM replacement KYBs. So um, I also need to double check. It does have a timing chain, but I need to double check that there's no service to it. I think I know there's like time and chain tensioners and guides. It's not a belt car. It's not a belt car. It's a chain hmm. car. It's pretty cool. Interesting. Um, I need, so I need to double check the interval on that. And I, I believe you don't touch them unless they're making noise. I don't really remember from my time in infinity. So it, it would seem that both your car and the SER had the same spec 140 horsepower SR 20 D E. Mm-hmm. All right. So there was not more power on the SER. So okay. It's SR is the engine family. 2O means 2 liter. And D means dual overhead cams. And E means electronic fuel injection. Yep. So the SR20DE. Yeah. I guess this is a later car. So it's a high top intake. It's like the, it's over the injectors versus the earlier cars was under the injectors or something. Okay. And I was just like quickly reading like there's some mod where you can take like the early cams and put them in this car or something and it i don't know i'm not kind of with it i remember back in the sport compact car days they love them they still love them on moto iq there's i wanted one of these cars in the worst way and i remember is it jim wolf technologies oh yeah they still make stuff for them yeah they had an ad in sport compact car um and i wanted one bad (laughs) Because they had like cams and exhaust and all this cool stuff you could just buy for them. And I, I definitely wanted one, just never. They're pretty well supported still. Uh, and yeah. so what's interesting, the front suspension is a multi-link front suspension for a front-wheel drive car. Okay. Um, which is just, it's not McPherson struts, which is interesting for a front-wheel drive yep. car. And so it, it's it basically may... your Montero. Sort of. It's not, it's not <laughs> double wishbone. It's not like okay. a. It's not like a. Um, a a, like a, a yeah, it's not like a Civic of that generation. It's like a multi-link, like a BMW or an Audi with a yeah. twin upper and lower control arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's four ball joints. Yeah, and the rear struts look like McPherson's. They look like the way, um, like the way rear Subaru struts look. The two bolts in the bottom. I remember um, when I bought when I bought my A4 back in like two thousand two. You know, a lot of people that we knew, 2002, 2003, whatever year it was, um, a lot of people we knew come from, you know, the old school car world. I can't believe you bought one of those. That car's got four ball joints in the front. That's going to cause you so much trouble because it was, you know, a multi-link suspension car. <laughs> so I remember, I remember hearing that from multiple people. Ah, I could buy one of those cars. They got four ball joints in each corner. Well, they don't really have four. Well, I guess technically kind of, but no, <laughs> this is not how it works. <laughs> So driving it, it feels like, uh, it reminds me of the Mirage, but just way nicer inside. Way more comfortable. Yeah, way more comfortable. It's definitely still a a luxury car. Yeah. It's still um, like an entry-level luxury car. I can't wait to get back to Massachusetts and drive it because I've never actually driven a manual transmission one. I think I've only ever driven a second gen with an automatic. Yeah. So this is a much better car. I see them from time to time around here. They're still fairly I, I don't want to call them common um but i see them you know a few times a month around here 
um, a lot of second gens, but still some first gens mixed in here and there. Well, it's interesting because when I was looking them up, I didn't even realize this, but just from 90 or 91 was the first year, just from uh, 90, 90 was the first year. So 90 to 96 um, for the first generation G20, they only sold 96,000 total. That's not a lot of cars for not a lot of cars. seven years. No. Um, and, you know, there's a couple very active Facebook groups. Uh, we actually have a couple followers, a couple people we follow as well. There was a um, Racing Bones, and it's at Racing Bones. Yep. They're on Instagram. We met them at um, Radwood Vegas. It was a green G20, actually. On T37s? Um, on T37s, yeah. That's a nice car. Lowered. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah. yeah, that was a nice car. So, yeah, it's a very... I didn't think... It, did I talk about the color of this car? It's a very dark green. It's uh, They call it black emerald or emerald black. It's almost black. It's, like, very hard to tell it's green unless it's in bright sunlight. Are like compared to my Golf, it doesn't look... It's, like, the shades are so far apart. Were there two different greens? Um, maybe year to year, but because uh, I, I feel like I remember a lot of them being an actual like green green. Like, I think not- year, year to year they had different greens because okay. um, I'm I'm going by the it came with the sales brochure in it. And oh, there's only good. there's only one green. Yeah, it's uh, black uh, emerald black. I'll have to do some digging into my paint code. It could just be that it's a little dingy, and maybe if I buff it out, it'll be a much more vibrant, darker green. You know, with more depth. Like it definitely needs. There's some little dings here and there. There's a, a behind the right, sorry, behind the left front marker light. The fender's pushed in. Um, there's a little stuff. Like, it's just a bunch of little cosmetic stuff like that that I'm going to figure out. You know, maybe a. a uh, we've got a guy here called Dentman J, who's a magician at this stuff. Absolutely. Maybe he can fix that fender for me, <clears throat> or or hide it. Um, and then uh, oh, the other weird thing, I think because it was just a single guy that owned this car, the um, driver's door, the hinge is worn out, so it droops. Hmm. But like the other doors are hard to open. I got to lube them up. So what year is this car? 96. So yours is, according to this list I am seeing, which I could be wrong, um, 96 you had deep dark green, deep evergreen. Emerald green was 91 to 95. So. Oh, maybe this is a 95. That's oh. what it is. Okay. I keep confusing with 95, 96. This is 95. Okay, so 95 years is black, emerald, dark green, pearl. But there yeah. was also forest green, slate, pearl, and dark green, deep evergreen. Those are probably colors that I'm thinking of. Because the car I'm picturing in my brain is not as black as yours is. When I saw the pictures you posted, I was surprised how dark the color was. I'll, I'll send you a picture of the, the brochure because there's only one green in it. Interesting. I've uh, I've always liked these cars, and they've always been like sort of on my radar, but not quite there. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I keep uh man, I keep calling it a ninety-six. It's definitely it's definitely a ninety-five though. Okay. And that makes sense. Um but they're mechanically they're pretty much all the same. The big difference yeah. was the they went from having uh, auto belts to dual airbags manual belts. So this car has dual airbags. Okay. That's such a weird thing too. Like what do you want? more or less like i love a non-airbag steering wheel but i also don't like auto belts right so which which one do you choose i think i'd probably live with the auto belts and keep the non-airbag steering wheel um and then it's got like so trying to think i guess i could i'll have to go to the dealer for that hinge i don't know where else to get it and then what do you like i don't want it to be this big brass hinge or cadmium plated hinge that's in there. So can I like buy that like a can of color match spray paint from that auto body place and paint it? Is that like? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's not going to be like it's a side of the car and you're going to worry about blending the paint together. It's going to be fine. All right. It, it, honestly, even if you painted it black, it would probably nobody would even ever notice. You know, the well, I'm just thinking because I kind of need to. Yeah, but there's also a little bit of. Uh, rust on the dog leg I want to clean up. Yep. And I'll probably clean it up, prime it, and then I try to blend the color back into it. Yeah. So we're going to be buying color match paint anyways. So. Yeah. I don't see why, I don't see why not. I just searched a G20 door hinge for you, and you got to remember that uh, Chevy vans are also called G20s. Yes. <laughs> so that becomes a, uh, a search issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to figure it out, but the door, the door hinge is like fifty eight dollars on eBay. Yeah, so for a factory hinge, not too bad. I bet knowing the local Infinity dealer to you, it would be one hundred and fifty eight dollars. Probably. So I just buy it from buy it from eBay. Yeah. So oh, this yeah. called parts.infinity.usa. I don't know if that's hmm. an official Infinity site. It looks like it might be. It's probably a dealer. It's yeah. like there's like 10 different Mitsu parts online things. They're like Mitsubishi parts online, Mitsubishi parts warehouse online. Yeah. I'd rather buy from one of these guys than the local dealership that steals yeah. everything from you. Exactly. So, so yeah, it's a pretty cool car. Uh, do a little cleanup, a little uh, TLC to it. I'll probably enjoy it for a few months. and uh, Fall in love with it, keep it forever. No. Um, move it on to someone else. He says no. No. No, I, I hope I hope I'm back in the area before you sell it, so I can drive it because I'd like to, I'd like to experience one. No, I want to try something else. So I want to try different cars. So this is part of that trying this car. Right. And then I'd, I'd like to move it on. Hopefully, make a little bit on it. If not, when I when I'm into it, at minimum yeah, minimum break even. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that way I can spend it on another car. Well, I figure, you know, save for not having to buy a $400 ABS sensor. Um, the most expensive part you'll have to buy for the car is, you know, tires. Like, it's it should be a fairly knock wood, inexpensive proposition to keep this car running and get it back up and running. Well, considering the fact that I purchased a car that already runs and drives and was recently inspected. What is, <laughs> what is this sorcery, Andrew? Yeah, right? I didn't buy uh, an $800 car. Uh, with a roached interior, so. What is this sorcery, Andrew? I do not understand. I haven't done this 
even the Eclipse, which ran and drove, needed some stuff. So yeah, about the same though. I think. I think it's a little. I think the Eclipse is probably a little more because it needed heavy bodywork. Um, oh, but mechanically, mechanically, it's probably very similar. Um, and I still need to do the struts and springs in the Eclipse. So. That's the other thing. This stuff, uh, everything in this car works. Like I used the cruise control on the highway that works. Yeah, so maybe it, it is like the It worked great. Yeah. Air conditioning seems to work. Wow. You hear the clutch coming on, yeah. yeah. So maybe it is like the Eclipse, because the Eclipse, everything works. AC, air conditioning, heat, cruise control. And I say I have to replace the struts and springs. They're not, I don't have to do it. They're just, you know, they could old, be. Tired. They, they could stand to be refreshed. It doesn't need them. They're not bouncy. Yeah. It, it could use... To maximize the enjoyment of the car, it could use new springs and struts. So. Yeah. All right. I'd say it's probably about the same level of car. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm excited for you. It's been a while since oh, you yeah. bought a car. That that? It's been a while since you bought a project car. So. It's been quite a while. It's been uh, holding off. Yeah. So neat. And a good place to be. It's not a Mitsubishi. It's going to uh, bring us a whole new audience. <laughs> yeah. I... I... As much as I like Mitsubishi, I just didn't want another Mitsubishi. No, I hear you. I was kind of bored with them. I hear not you. Like, maybe the right car. Um, well, I shouldn't say I'm not bored with mine. I'd be bored if I bought another one because it's the same. I already have the ones that I want. Yeah, you've already completed two project Mitsubishis. I, well, I already have the ones that I want that aren't like a ridiculous um, collector one, like a Glant GTO, a PRO Evo, or. Right. Any, uh, a JDM Evo. So maybe that's, that should be your 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 scheme here is to buy into all these cars, put a little work into them, make them nicer, and flip your way into a Galat GTO. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of is right. So I want to enjoy this car for a while, sell it. Uh, maybe I find a Volvo. Maybe I don't. Maybe I spend a little more money. I get into a a, a Peugeot, like a two hundred five or a one hundred six Rally. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be super cool. I, I just want to experience that like French hot hatch, like nineties. Like that'd be really sick. So. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, need, I need to get on this, this, this plan of buying and selling things versus buying and hoarding. So I like it. I like your, your motor. You, you will motivate me to do the right thing. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I'm not going to make myself a millionaire out of it, but I just want to pay for my hobby. And that's the key. That's always the, that's always the key. Yeah. I've been going through and thanks to Naomi and her incredible patience and her love of organizing. I've been going through boxes of diecasts and organizing them. And she's making like a spreadsheet. There you go. And uh, it's kind of the same thing. Like I'm looking at the stuff I can sell all the stuff and I can have paid for every diecast car I've bought in the past two years with this two boxes of diecast cars I put together. Well, and especially ones if you if you're not enjoying them, if they're just put away, they're literally just in boxes. Then, and if they're worth something to someone else, you might as well sell them. Yeah, I I put together two paper boxes, you know, like W. B. Mason reams of paper boxes. Yeah, of one sixty fourth Hot Wheels cars. Yeah, um, and going off of the low sold prices on eBay, each box is a thousand dollars worth of cars. Yeah. That's crazy to think about it that way. Yeah, you might as well. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's two grand towards real cars. Exactly. For stuff I've had for a long time. Stuff you invested a dollar in. 
a dollar to five tops. Yeah. Yeah, we're probably talking maybe a three hundred dollar investment. So speaking of flipping your way <laughs> flipping your way into new cars. Okay. That's the ultimate flip. Yeah. Flipping die cast cars into real cars? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, the timing works out perfectly, and part of the reason for it is I'm again, I've talked about it a couple times, I'm in talks to buy back my Cressida still. Um and it's it, it it's not a lot of money to the grand scheme of the world, but it's the most money I will have ever spent on a non daily driven car. So it's frightening me a little bit. Um, it's it's about what I sold the car for, so I, I guess technically it's a break even, but it's not really because that was so long ago. Um, I've never like laid out more than. I mean, what's the most expensive car I ever bought, Andrew? Thirty five hundred bucks. I don't know. I think, other than my daily car, like you know, my financed Volkswagen or my financed Evo, like as far as a normal car goes, I don't think I ever spent more than that. So for a fun car, so it's definitely a bit of a, it's a bit of uncharted territory for me. <laughs> it's definitely nice buying a uh, enthusiast car that is not immediately a pile of junk that you have to fix up. Yeah, I have enough of those currently. So, like, I get it. I've done it. Um, I don't have a taste to do it again for a while. Right. Like, not you to say I won't ever do it again, but I just don't, don't have want to. You don't have the space. And listen, I, I, I totally time. get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently wrapped up in way too much work. You know, I have that starring we keep talking about, which is going to be, eventually that's going to be a project and a half. You know, because I'm going to transfer every part in the car to a new car. I have that old Toyota pickup back here that I'm like hemming and hawing on what to do with it now because it, now it has been sitting, which is the one thing I said I wasn't going to do. And it's just like, uh, what do I do? So it's it all becomes it all becomes a question. The, the ultimate like the same thing we talk about all the time, like what is important and what's not important, and how do you decide what's important and what's not important. So every dime I spend on the Toyota is a dime I don't spend somewhere else. But anyway, unimportant right, right now. This car is all this, 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 this podcast is all about your new happy purchase. Yeah. All right, cool. Anything else? I think not, sir. No. I think we're oh, right. actually, yes. Yes. We need to, need to, need to, need to, need to thank Daniel from Wasabi Cars. Oh yeah! Oh yes. Um, he made a video about a Mitsubishi Lancer. Yes. Um, which is the generation of the Lancer known here as the Colt, same as my '78. Um, and he did something he doesn't normally do, and he actually tagged us in the video, and he put our logo up, and he talked about us, and told everybody that watches this video to come listen to us. So that's awesome. We love his Wasabi Cars videos. I watch them all the time. I was stoked to see that he did one on a Lancer. Um, it wasn't even sent to me yet. I watched it when I got the, got the notification and saw that he put us in it. And I was like, oh, sweet. So awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, Wasabi Cars on Facebook, Wasabi Cars on Instagram, and Wasabi Cars on YouTube. YouTube is his big thing. He's uh, an Australian living in Japan. So he goes to all the cool Japanese events that you wish you could go to uh, and talks about them and talks to the owners of the cars and talks about the cars and does quick little videos on each car at these cool shows in Japan. So give Wasabi Cars a follow. He's a good dude, and he's got great content. 
Cool. Yeah. We like Daniel. Daniel likes yeah. Support those. Yes. No. no, it's a cool channel. Yep. All right. So, as always, you can follow us on Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, Off Topic on Twitter, Off Topic on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram, Erased in Anger. Got some pictures of the G20 on there. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. And Andrew, you should probably put some pictures of the G20 also on our Auto Off Topic page as well. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. You can share the stories. Um, I actually did on my Diecast Daily end of last week, I did a Primera race car just in uh, celebration of you buying your G20. I do. That's a good looking race car. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, as always, keep cars analog and aim for the race. Yeah.